Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Outlet Podcast. You know, I left my TV news job in October of 2020, started this podcast shortly thereafter, and my goal in all of this was to find a better way to share stories that matter, no BS. Well, I'm excited to tell you, I think I found a way to do that, and I'm going to tell you more about this idea in this episode. I also want to go back through some of the conversations I've had with journalists, industry experts, other guests on this podcast, so you can see how these conversations and other research that I've done have informed my thinking and shaped what I'm working on now and this new direction that I'm going. The president met with congressional leaders. Doctors will start implanting the devices. And he heard that warning from the Coast Guard tonight. For now we're live in Orlando. For now we're live in Dallas. We're live in Boston tonight. Caitlin McCulley, 7 News 19. I'm Caitlin McCulley. I left my job as a TV news reporter in a pandemic to try to find a better way to share stories that matter, no BS. Thanks for listening to Outlet Podcast. You can download new episodes each week. So when I first started this podcast, I wasn't really sure of the direction it would take. I just knew I wanted to create a platform where journalists and others connected to the industry could talk openly and candidly about their experience, issues within the business, with an eye towards solutions and evolution. Here's part of what I said about this in December in the first intro episode of Outlet Podcast. These are problems that come down to the business model of TV news, and it affects what you see on a day-to-day basis in your living rooms, on your phones. Um, you're getting all these breaking news alerts telling you about this or that. Some of it you need to know, maybe some of it you don't. Um, and so we're going to break down some of these issues that I've been hearing for years, which is, you know, why is the news so negative? Why is it biased? Is it biased? Is there a place that will tell me just the facts and no one's opinion? Um, why is it so sensational? Or why don't you cover A, B, C, D, E? So a lot of these questions are really complicated and they're intertwined with a lot of factors like business and politics and corporations and individual journalists. So we're going to look at how these issues intertwine. And my hope is that through these honest conversations, we'll come to some better solutions on how we can move forward as an industry and Are there ways that we can adapt to do a better job at giving you the news? Kind of vague, right? The truth is I really didn't know where I would end up, but I knew I just had to begin, so I did. I chose Christine Dobbin for the first episode as a way to introduce those of you outside of the business to what it's like to be a TV reporter over many years and with a lot of experience. And I just have so much respect for Christine as a journalist and a person, and I admire her bravery in leaving her job mid-career, going to business school, and now running her own digital marketing company as well as a separate startup business. If you have journalism and if you have entrepreneurship, they're this license to be curious. And I'm an incredibly curious person. Um, You give me a topic and all of a sudden I dive into it a little bit and then I want to know everything about it. And so that's the commonality. And I've, as I've gone down this road with um, working on a couple of startup ideas and businesses, and I realized that the, the process and the path is very much like journalism when you're trying to put a story together. After talking with Christine, I placed more emphasis on curiosity, recognizing it as one of my strengths as well, and realizing it can be a guide as I navigate this process. So I started looking at the TV news business as I would approach a story I was reporting on, gathering facts, talking with experts and others who are researching it, and also talking to people who are affected by it. Then I started to write about it. I wrote an article called People say they want just the facts. Are they liars? And I want to read some of that to you now. People say they want the facts only without the flash, but their actions don't support it. 
TV stations pay companies to conduct market research that tracks what kind of content people watch and what causes them to turn off the TV or change the channel. Television ratings are measured four times per year during sweeps periods. News outlets also meticulously track website engagement, and news managers use that data to inform their coverage. If you ever wondered what causes the surge in stories about high-end escorts and butt injections gone wrong, rape kits that need to be tested all in a random few weeks in February, this is why. Sex sells. Entertainment sells. Emotion sells. For a news business model that depends on people watching through the commercials, the temptation to stray from journalism to entertainment is too great. In the 80s, news stations started leaning this way to chase profits. These days, they're simply trying to stay afloat in a media universe that seems limitless. Television stations are increasingly embracing stories that entertain rather than inform, whether that includes live video of a bear climbing a tree or details on a gruesome triple homicide story. I once worked with an executive producer who called what we put on television infotainment. Infotainment on the national television stage takes a different form, opinions. Talking heads going back and forth ad infinitum leaves less room for straight factual reporting with context, but it certainly keeps people watching their screens. Why? Because it provokes an emotional response from viewers, like outrage or sadness or frustration. And when poorly labeled opinion content takes up the majority of airtime, people start thinking all the content on news stations is biased. Side note, it would help if political pundits would begin their shows by saying, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and the following is my opinion. This is an opinion show. For the simple facts, visit blah blah blah. So this issue of the news business model and how it affects people's perception of the world around them had become increasingly important to me over the last few years. In fact, I applied for a Harvard Neiman Fellowship last year to study this problem. I wasn't chosen, turns out, but John Archibald, a guy I knew from my time working in Birmingham, Alabama, was accepted, and he's interested in a similar topic. He's an excellent journalist and has even won the Pulitzer Prize, so I invited him as my second guest to talk about his research on crime portrayal in the media. So this constant wave of crime comes before you, and you say, regardless of the fact that crime over the last few decades has decreased a lot, you just come to believe that this is, that we are washing crime. And, And hence the rhetoric of fear and politics that we we often hear so often it works you make people afraid you make them willing to do things they wouldn't do otherwise so after talking with someone as experienced as john i knew i was on the right track in trying to understand the influence of advertisers on news organizations i was also interested in the perception of bias and if there's a way to earn back the public's trust in the media For that, I looked to Dave Lopez, a veteran reporter who just retired after almost 50 years in the business. I figured, of all people, he would have a unique perspective as someone who's experienced TV news in its heyday. With so much of the country not trusting anything that journalists say, how do we move on from here to restore some kind of trust? I wish I wish I could give you the golden answer because I, I, would, I bottle it and sell it and you know distribute it across the world. Uh, mm-hmm. How we get back that trust, I don't know, uh, but but somehow, some way, I think we've got to come to some realization that we we need each other. I mean, uh, and and the the world needs an open and free press. So Dave agreed that a lot of the criticism of the media is fair, and I started thinking more about whether or not it was even possible for journalists to earn back trust that's been lost over time because of a variety of reasons. 
I started researching other business models to see if there's any operation that is able to sustain itself financially while also providing quality journalistic content that people actually want. The realities of the failing business models across the board are pretty tough, as illustrated by Evan Brandt, who's the last local newspaper reporter living in his town in Pennsylvania. You could give me 20 reporters and I could employ them all here in the newsroom. Uh, well, in my attic, uh, we don't have a newsroom anymore. Uh, I could find employment for all of them. And um, because there's, you're always missing something, but now we're missing so many things. It's, it's, it's dispiriting and I don't think it's really the public service that it should be. Evan even confronted the hedge fund president that gutted his paper and still wasn't able to get any more resources. Clearly this is not the path forward. But what about a local news startup that combines every source of funding imaginable to get off the ground? I talked with Ken Doctor in episode five. He was a media critic for a long time and is now trying to prove that people will pay for local news in his hometown of Santa Cruz, California. I'm making the assumption, uh, based on being an American who's been on the planet for a while, that people do want to know what's going on in their community. Um, and they want to know the facts of what's going on. They want people to connect the dots, not in a partisan way, but right. understanding. And that if you offer them that, that enough of them will respond both in readership and membership. There is only one way to prove it, which is to actually do it. And people, especially, you know, we're close to Silicon Valley here. People go like, well, start with two people and see and test it out. And I said, no, that's the whole problem. Mm -hmm. You've got to offer high enough quality and enough of it, and um, and then see what the market responds. I really wish him well, and I hope that it works, but I do worry about the fact that they're paying so much for quality reporters and photographers and staff that their model won't be scalable. Regardless, they are doing a great service to Santa Cruz, California right now. So I kept looking for other models. At this point, my conversations and research had validated a few assumptions. One, there's a huge trust problem in the media. Two, People say they want facts, but their actions don't support it within traditional business models that include advertisers. Three, catering to advertisers negatively affects news coverage and results in a more fearful society. I touched on this assumption in that article I wrote several months ago, which got the attention of Michael Rosenblum. He's written extensively on the subject. Michael's a big advocate of the democratization of news, meaning citizen journalism, everyone has iPhones, they can be their own journalists. I read his book, Don't Watch This, How the Media Are Destroying Your Life, and was really interested in his ideas related to citizens taking back control of the narratives they're consuming in the media. Watching teaches you passivity because watching instructs you over and over again, you, you have no control over your life. That's why I'm so vehement about taking control in terms of the media. You're not gonna get rid of the media, but stop watching and start doing. I don't think that's a, such a terrible thing to say. Around this time, I also watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it already. I started realizing that between the media we consume on television and what we see on social media platforms, we've become the product, not the customer. The advertisers are the true customers, and we, the viewers and readers, are the products being bought and sold. Our time and attention, perhaps our most valuable assets in life, are being bought and sold. 
Whatever content keeps our attention, most of it based in fear and controversy, is king. Language plays a big role in this, of course, so I talked with an anti-bias consultant and researcher, Dr. Suzanne Wertheim. She's a linguistic anthropologist, and after the attack on the Capitol, she wrote about how important it is to use accurate language to describe what happened. Media language is one of the most influential languages that we have in terms of taking a, a little event or you know a, a thing that happens in a place and a time and then broadcasting it out to mm-hmm. everybody. So then that interpretation of the event is made the popular interpretation of the event. Dr. Wertheim was clear that even though she continues to raise awareness around these issues, she's not optimistic about media companies' ability to refrain from using emotionally charged language because, as we know, that's what gets people's attention and keeps them watching. So after talking with her, I started getting even more disillusioned with this media landscape and reflecting on my time in TV news, wondering how I didn't see this sooner and how, despite my best efforts to do good work, ultimately, I was part of a system that didn't have viewers' best interest at heart. Like, no wonder I was frustrated so often, my values were at odds with the system that I worked in. So I talked with a young woman just getting started in this business, Paige Hubbard. She really reminded me why I got into this field to begin with. She is such a hard worker. I'm never like complacent. You know, in college, the goal was, okay, get a job in your field. And now that I've accomplished that, it's, okay, get a job in a bigger market. So for me, it's just my desire to continue to better myself and be uh, better who I was the day before. You know, and in talking to Paige, I realized how much of her career she still has ahead of her and wondering if there's going to be a place for her to do good work as this system continues to devolve, I would say. And so I started researching other platforms where video storytelling exists, and I came across Bianca Gralo's account on TikTok. She too left her job in TV and moved back to Puerto Rico, where she's experimenting with new ways to share stories. I think the problem we have is that the options out there seem outdated, but then what other options are there, real options? Exactly. You and I took a huge leap of faith is the truth. Mm -hmm. And not everyone can do this. I did this from a privileged position of being able to come back home to cut my costs, to, you know, not have children and not have those responsibilities to be able to say, I'm just going to try this out and see what happens. But not everyone can do that. So so the question is what options are out there and, and how we can make these possibilities into a reality for us where we could, you know, survive and also continue to pursue our passion. So here she is finally producing great content that she's passionate about, nobody else telling her what to cover, but without a way to monetize it. So I put my thoughts together in another article entitled, TV News Isn't Serving You, It's Selling You. You can imagine pretty hard to write given the fact that I spent 10 years in this business. I'll read a bit from it now. Number one, in the television news business, viewers are the products being sold to advertisers. The news you're seeing is skewed based on what research shows will hold your attention. Fear is a key motivator to keep watching. Humans are programmed to pay attention to things that may harm us. It's difficult to look away from red flashing lights on the television in the corner of the room, especially when the language used includes words like terrifying attack and horrific events. Number two, All viewers are not equal products. 
Certain kinds of viewers are more valuable to attract and hold. Local television news companies cater to the demographics most likely to spend money. This means news managers will go to great lengths to send news crews to the suburbs within their designated market area and will neglect comparable events happening in poor neighborhoods, unless there's violence. Violence anywhere is a story everywhere because it serves the first purpose, stoking fear and keeping people watching. Number three, lopsided coverage designed to maximize ad revenue distorts viewers' perception of crime and community safety. Americans tend to believe crime is up, even though data from the FBI and Bureau of Justice Statistics show crime levels have decreased overall since the early 90s. And when news crews only travel to the inner cities when crimes are committed, it creates the perception that the inner cities and the people who live there are inherently dangerous. Crime should be documented for public benefit, not sensationalized for profit. Number four, the drive to specialize for ad purposes creates information echo chambers. Anyone with a basic understanding of marketing knows that it's easier to sell things to people who are alike. Cable news networks have specialized. 93% of Fox News viewers identify as Republican, while 95% of MSNBC viewers identify as Democrat. That's according to the Pew Research Center. Give viewers more of what they want to hear about a particular political candidate, and they'll keep watching. If you provide a more accurate representation of the facts, you'll lose the product, viewers, you're trying to sell. Number five, and most importantly, Viewers must become the customers, not the products. If you're tired of having your emotions manipulated, your understanding of the world warped, and frankly, your time wasted as you're being bought and sold to advertisers, you must demand better. I have great respect for journalists working for traditional TV news companies who are doing important work, but the business model does not support this work in aggregate. I believe the solution lies in a one-sided marketplace free of advertisers. I'm building one. So this is where I've landed. I'm building a video storytelling platform that harnesses the power of citizen journalists and digital creators and pays them for their work. I'm removing advertisers from the equation so that the viewers and readers are the real customers, not the products being bought and sold for the benefit of big companies. I'm hard at work on this, looking for 50 creators to kick things off, and I'll be sharing more soon. You can download new episodes of Outlet Podcast each week. Please leave a review and also follow us on Instagram at Outlet Media Podcast to let me know what you think. I knew this was going to be an adventure, and I have a feeling I'm just getting started. Thanks for coming along for the ride. See you soon.